For those of you who don't know or are listening to the podcast, my name's Teresa Merrick. I'm on the senior leadership team. I'm also married to Andy Merrick. And we moved up here to Church Plant, Hope Church Glasgow, 12 and a half years ago. And the adventure just keeps getting more and more exciting. It's great. Um, I am going to start the preach with an apology. Um, I had it all lined up what I was going to talk to you about. Because I really am carrying this prophetic word that originally I thought God was speaking to me. And then as the months have gone by, it's slowly begun to dawn on me, actually this is a word for us all. But yesterday we were at the uh, Milton Keynes School of Supernatural Life and we were doing a Father Heart conference and I shared my testimony in all its fullness about what God's done in my life. And it was so powerful, it was almost scary. <laughs> and, but I also felt, you know what, I haven't done this at home. I haven't done this with my family. And I thought, so this morning there was this tussle going on. Realignment, reappraisal, my story. What I felt God saying, my story. And in the end, I've gone with my story. So um, it's going to be fun, but um, it is going to be lots of fun. So I'm just going to share my heart. So I'm not going to get into performance, and I'm not going to get into hiding behind official kind of whatever's I'm gonna just tell you my story (laughs) and the the reason I can do this is as many of you know my dad died about eight weeks ago which you'll find out more about that and just how amazing God has been to me in the last 40 years. So this preach has been 40 years in the making. It's like one of those epic films, isn't it? Like Lord of the Rings took seven years to complete. Well, this took 40 years, what you're about to hear. (laughs) So Lord Jesus, I ask for your supernatural ability to be able to communicate how amazing you are. The way you have done miraculous things in my life which are incredible. And I want to communicate the hope and the way you totally change us when we meet you. And I ask that you would expand time that I would be able to get it begun and middle and finished in the time I've got. And that you would just stretch time. I also want to thank you for the 24-7 prayer team guys. We wouldn't be where we are, none of us, without prayer. And we wouldn't be where we are as a church without these weeks of prayer. And you are so exciting how you keep leading each one of us into new things, showing us more of who you are and who we are. You are the best thing that has ever happened to us, Jesus. Meeting you was the best thing that ever happened to me. Amen. So I'm going to tell you about my home life. So I was raised in a home where my father and my dad and his sister were both born out of wedlock. This was in 1926. 
where this would have been a very, very shameful thing. Um, I don't think now we can fully comprehend because things are much better now than they used to be then. But I don't think we can fully comprehend what that must be like. Um, my grandma would have been very badly thought of. My dad and his sister never, ever talked about the childhood. They never, ever talked about the poverty that they suffered. They never talked about it full stop. My dad was extremely um, convinced that he had never been bullied in his life ever. But I think that is extremely unlikely given his circumstances he was born in. Um, it would have been tough for them. I don't know when my grandma married my step-granddad, but my step-granddad was hard-drinking. He was miserable. I can't ever... This is not exaggerating. Sometimes I can prone to exaggerate. This is not an exaggeration. I cannot remember him smiling once, ever. He didn't talk to us, didn't talk to me dad, didn't talk to my grandma. Uh, my grandma was called Grace. How about that? <laughs> she was a lovely lady. She was loads of fun. She was vibrant. She was energetic. She was hardworking. And she used to win the bingo a lot. <laughs> so when we turned up at their house, there would be a new sofa or a new lamp or a new coat Oh, she used to have all these great holidays and she used to win them all on bingo. <laughs> and your Christmas presents would sometimes be bingo winnings. And she'd got this lovely blue hair and she was a lovely, lovely lady. Um, but she used to have all these books on a coffee table, Stephen King, you know, with blood and knives all on them. And I used to look at them at a kid, you know, all these gory books and then my little, my really nice blue rinsed granny. And that was totally incongruous. <laughs> um, so I wanted to paint that. My dad looked like Father Christmas compared to his stepdad. Uh, my dad had his own issues knowing what we know now I would say he was definitely prophetic he was definitely idealistic but that came out as being judgmental critical and he was a bit deluded about how crew could become a new utopia And he used to preach this message to us on a regular basis, which is why the kids are falling about laughing. Um, and I do pray blessing on crew, actually. I pray for new transport links to rise up there, that you would prosper it, that it would bloom and develop, and that you would bring increase and blessing on that town, Lord. Amen. Um, so my... Childhood, you put all those things together. Oh, right, I've only told you a bit of it. Um, can you help keep me on track too? He was prophetic, idealistic, yes, but he also drank far too much. And he was violent physically and verbally. He was very aggressive and he was absolutely vitriolic in his criticism of everybody. <laughs> 
Knowing what I know now, my dad definitely had company because nobody can speak the sort of stuff that came out of his mouth without it coming from the other place. Where I dwelt wasn't heaven to earth. My, where I dwelt was from the other area. Um, his reactions to things were extreme and he was subject to rage. You put all those things together and that is not a happy recipe for a happy home. I didn't have a happy childhood. My teenage years were especially difficult. I've thought about this a lot lately. I can remember five happy memories. One of them was following my great-grandma who had rickets. So instead of her knees going like this... Her knees went like that. She was a really old-fashioned lady, so you never got to see these amazing knees that bent the other way to everybody else's, except when she came on holiday with us and she went paddling. And then she would hitch up her skirts and you'd see these amazing knees that went like that. So me and my brother and sister, we used to wait. And when Grandma was walking in front, we'd walk behind, just so we could see these amazing knees in motion. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> um, I'm not saying these things because I want you to feel sorry for me, but I want to show these things to show you from where I've come from. And I want to bring hope to anybody whose experience is anything like mine. Um, we've had terrible grief and difficulties over the years. One of my childhood memories, which happened more than once, was my mum, my brother and my sister were standing in the corner of a room and there was me and the dog standing in front of them and my dad was shouting and screaming and yelling at him, and me and the dog were trying to stop him getting to them. That was quite normal in our house. Uh, the other thing that would happen is my mum and dad owned a shop, and there would be periods of time where mum would be ill. What this meant was that mum was so bruised and battered on her face and her arms that she was actually in bed recovering until all the bruising had gone away and she could reappear in public life. That was normal to us. We just thought that was mum being ill. She probably didn't feel very well. But the real reason was so the bruising could go down and nobody would know what was going on. Nowadays, uh, we, if anyone had even suggested telling anyone what was going on then, it would have been easier to have walked on the moon, to be honest. Never occurred to us. This was a terrible, shameful secret that we had to keep hidden. and We couldn't let anybody know about it. Um, one of the memories I can remember is I was sitting on the sofa and my mum was expecting my baby brother. And I'd been waiting on this sofa for ages. I was four and I'd been sitting on this sofa waiting forever, forever, for the car to turn up with my new baby brother. And I'm sitting there with Grandma Grace. And I'm like, this is taking forever. 
I'm going to pray to Jesus. So there must have been some recollection or knowledge of him even then. And I prayed to Jesus. I said, I want to see my baby brother. And the car literally pulled up right outside the front door. (laughs) Um, But I would have been four. Um, one of the things that's been really difficult too has been the way to see my brother and sister have been treated over the years because my dad was like he was we've seriously thought on many occasions about just having nothing to do with him it would have been easier But my home was already pretty dark and pretty bleak and I was the only salt and light in it. And I thought if I withdraw, which would be easier, actually all the light and all the salt has gone out of that environment and it's only going to get worse. And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because of my mum and I couldn't do it because of my sister and my brother. Um... But we did learn to be really wise. There's that verse about be wise as serpents but innocent as doves. So we learned to have really good boundaries. On my 50th birthday I had to say to the kids, don't answer the phone at all today because granddad's phoning up making abusive phone calls. It was just just how we lived, it was just how we coped. But I did learn to have really healthy boundaries with him. Um, We would never leave our children with him unaccompanied ever. We would, either me or Andy would always be there. We didn't trust him. He wasn't trustworthy. So we would never leave them with him. We mostly had my mum come to visit our home because that was safer. Because our house, our rules... That worked better. And my mom was a lovely, lovely lady. And she still is. She's still alive. She is a shadow of her former self. She's in the final stages of Alzheimer's. And she is now this little wrinkled old lady that I love enormously. Um, There was a few times where Andy had to tell my dad to leave our home because his behaviour was so bad, either towards our children or towards my mum. And he would, and he was frog marched out the house. Um, but one of the best things that happened to me is I got to know Jesus when I was 17. And one of the first things he said to me was... Uh, about leaving my father's house from Psalm 45. What am I doing? Oh my goodness. If you look at verse 8, David, that'd be great. This is what he said to me. Now remember, that's my backdrop. That's how I'd lived. That's what my identity was. And this is some of the things Daddy God said to me. He said, all of your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes, aloes and cassia. 
and from palaces adorned with ivory, the music of strings makes you glad. Daughters of kings are among your honoured women, and at your right hand is the royal bride in gold of Ophir. Can you do the next one for me? Listen, O daughter, consider and give ear. Forget your people and your father's house. The king is enthralled by your beauty. Honour him, for he is your lord. The daughter of Tyre will come with a gift, and men of wealth will seek your favour. The next verse says, All glorious is the princess within her chamber. In some versions it says, All glorious is the princess within That verse brought healing to me. He saw that I was glorious on the inside and the out, actually. That my gown is interwoven with gold. In embroidered garments, she is led to the king. And her virgin companions follow her and are brought to you. God has covered me inside and out with embroidered garments. He has led me into his presence. He has surrounded me with pure men and women who are going to be great companions to me. And he has brought them to me. Those verses and knowing Jesus began to change my life. One of the first things, when I read that verse, I was like, yippee, I am out of here. (laughs) And I did. I left home when I was 17 and I never returned. Um, But by becoming aware of how valued I am by Daddy God and the immense value I have to him and the incredible grace God has shown me, it meant that I've been able to change things in my life. So one of the first things Daddy God talked to me about was forgiveness. Who'd have thought? Who would I have anything to forgive for? Imagine, who would I need to forgive? I did point out to him that clearly he didn't know the facts. Clearly there were some areas in my life that he didn't understand because I had strong mitigating circumstances for feeling like I did. Um, But then I read Matthew 18 where it says 32 to 35. Thanks, David. 18, 32 to 35. This is when the servants, one's been forgiven a load of money by the master, like millions and millions and millions. And then he goes back to somebody who owes him a piddly little amount and he demands they give him full payment. And this is what he says to them. He says, I cancelled all that debt of yours. You can scroll on a bit for me, David. And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he paid back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother. This is the killer. From your heart. I was like, blimey, that right ramps it up. Not only have I got to forgive, I've got to forgive from the heart. It's like 
So thus began the start of a process that lasted many, many, many years. <laughs> as soon as I felt that slight smug feeling, oh, I've forgiven dad or I've forgiven mum, it's okay. Something else would come up. I needed to forgive them both because mum had been complicit in the abuse that we'd all suffered and she'd chosen to live under fear. And they had a strange codependent relationship. So I needed to forgive them for modelling that as well. But basically, every good thing I know now, I have learned in the church. I've learned how to do healthy relationships. I've learned how to be a good friend. I've learned how to be a mum, a good mum. I've learned how to be a good wife. I've learned how to um, build good things. And where I've come from a judgmental and critical and harsh home, I've actually become a great source of encouragement and strengthening to others. But with my dad, I had to forgive him many, many times a day for many years. And it didn't feel, nothing changed on the inside because I absolutely hated my dad. I hated him. I was full of bitterness and I was full of rage and wrath. And I hated him. And I had my own anger and wrath problems as a result. I hated him, absolutely hated him. We all hated him. All the kids hated him. And uh, sometimes we weren't that keen on my mum either. Um, but I just kept doing this. I kept saying, no, God wants me to forgive him from the heart, so I just forgive him for this and this and that and that and this. Sometimes, the only good thing about it was it did mean I spent a lot of time with Daddy God because the list was so long. <laughs> There's lots of conversations between me and Daddy God about it. But I can remember the day when it actually felt genuine. And I thought, wow, I actually do love me dad. I was like, wow. Gosh, what is this strange sensation? Oh, that's feelings. <laughs> um, The other thing that Daddy God began to speak to me was that commandment. You know, that uncomfortable one right at the beginning of the Bible about honouring your parents that it will go well with you in the land. I was like, there should be a subclause, you know. <laughs> Honour your parents if they are average. If they are abusive, not so important. <laughs> But I've got bad news for you all. There is no subclause. Uh, so I was like, honour, honour. All I wanted to do was punch him. Honour. It's like, right, okay, start small, Teresa. Start small. So I began to look for the most, it was like hunting for a needle in a haystack. I began to look for the most feeble, the most feeble thing I could honour him with. So 
I can't remember some of the things because it's a while ago now. But some of the things were like, well, you've always been you've always been a real hard worker, Dad. You've put wages on the table. You've always made sure we've got lots to eat. You know, you're a good provider. Sometimes it was just that basic level. Um, so what happened was, God just keep working in my life, working in our home, showing me more and more the way he works. And I just kept going back, having clear boundaries. I wasn't about to let... uh, Me and Dad had many interesting conversations that went like this. Dad, I love you very much. I am not going to sit here and listen to you talk to Mum about like that. I love mum with all my heart. If you carry on talking about her in that way, I am going to leave. And sometimes when he was being really nasty, I would take mum with me and we would leave together because I couldn't bear to leave her with him while he was like that. We had conversations like, Dad, I love you very much, but I'm not going to let you talk about my sister in that way. So can we talk about something else or I'm going to go? And what happened over time was he would be, he would literally be going, (laughs) 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 and uh, I began to change his world. Um, dad as we got as he got older we got closer and closer because I really loved him I really do love him and I haven't shared any of this stuff before because I do honor him I didn't want to do it while he was alive but now he's in a much better place Jesus promised me he said I'm going to do right by your dad Teresa he said don't worry about him I'm going to do right by him so he's with Jesus but um just before he died I phoned up the hospital you're deaf as a post. And I'm yelling down the phone. It's Jesus. He can't hear me. The ward can hear me. The nurses are killing themselves laughing. He can't hear me. Not a thing. So I'm, te- I'm, I'm giving me instructions to the nurse, who must be standing next to his ear. Tell him it's Teresa. It's Teresa, his daughter. She's telling him this. And he says, oh, he said... And I could hear because he's as deaf as he was as deaf as a post. He said, "Oh, I'm a favourite." <laughs> and another time, I phoned up, same process, and he said, "Oh, that's the daughter who loves me." And I was like, "Come on!" Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I was like, "Yes." It's just miraculous what Jesus has done for each one of us. It is totally miraculous. And that's why I'm so passionate about his church and his body. It's because that's where I learned all this stuff. This is where he brought a broken girl. He just brought her in and introduced her to his family. Gave me the best dad in all of creation who washed me 
and made me a princess who is clothed in embroidered garments and is covered in gold. The gold of Ophir, apparently. Apparently, there are levels of gold. The gold from Ophir, that is the top quality gold. This isn't your naff everyday gold. This is the, the heights of gold. Um, but he's done that for each one of us. And uh, he's just amazing. And the worship guys this morning, some of the songs you were bringing was amazing. But I, I haven't a clue how to land this. <laughs> Sorry, folks. <laughs> and so what Teresa's talking about today really is the fact that what God does in lives is he produces trophies of grace. That is what he's done for Teresa. And it's so easy at a moment like this just to gush with emotion for Teresa's story. She doesn't want that, actually. She wants the honor and the glory to go to a father who stepped in and provided family. And I want to honor Teresa because she is a trophy of grace. She has got keys and wisdom and a grace that is real and tested. And you know, if you've got something you want to pour out, then you pour out honor before the Lord for what he's done in her life. Mm. But just as we've been listening to that, that will have landed yes. on you yes. one way or another. Yes. And there are no neat and tidy ways of doing things like this, but this is a message of hope. Mm. This is the message of what God wants to do for you. And I think I would just like to invite you all just to close your eyes a moment. Father, we just thank you for your faithfulness and for your graciousness, for what you've done in Teresa, what you've done in the Merrick household. Father, for the children, the grandchildren, and for the generations that are yet to come. And we see the glory in all that's coming through the legacy that you've worked there. But Father, we we just invite you now to come to our feet. Father, you're a dad who sees. You know it all. You know know the trophy of grace that you're bringing in my life, in each other's life. And Father, I just want you to look up and down. Thank you that you see every eye, you see every heart. And Father, I just invite you to come into each life story represented here. Father, I want you to blow a fresh wave of hope into every heart that is looking to see all your promises outwork for them. Father, that the wounds and the lacks and the abuses and all the things that you've just stirred up by hearing this, Father, would you send your Holy Spirit right now? into every heart. And Father, would you speak words of life? Father, would you hand a key to each person sat here? A key that will open a door to find you faithful? A key that will come and bring wisdom at every moment that's needed? And Father, would you bring keys for healing and wholeness? Father, we bless you and we just thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Spirit tag team.
Um, right at the heart of this is the ability to forgive people that have abused you. Um, and what that enabled Teresa to do was to connect to Heavenly Father as a good daddy. Yeah. And she talks like that about him. And that, yeah. we, we want to see everybody with a great connection to Heavenly Daddy. Yeah. But a key to it is actually forgiving people. And, and if you had an, any kind of issue with that and you're listening to her, you're going to feel it. You may be able to deny it in your head, but you can't deny it in your guts. I mean, really, it's down here. There may be a person, a thing, an event in your life that is eating away at you because you've been listening to this. And I want to just challenge you to, to walk with me in this and release forgiveness to people that have abused you. All right? It's in the room. I can tell it's in the room. This is just life, isn't it? Here's a message of hope, but the first step is releasing forgiveness. It's a decision before it's an emotion. It's an action before you feel it. Are you with me? Come on, let's let's.